So we're almost a week into the fast. How's everybody doing? Yeah, good, good. You know, you're not supposed to like act like you're fasting or talk about it or whatever. You know, you're supposed to like the Bible tells you. You know, don't complain about it. But we're all doing it together, so we can talk about it in this room. And it's really funny because um, I'm also doing sugar, like my dad. And sugar is in everything. Do you guys know that? <laughs> and like day four is my worst day when I take sugar out of my diet and I go a little cuckoo and um, like my brain doesn't work and I just laugh at everything and it's like I, Sean is just like what is the matter with you and I just wouldn't make sense I would get bored with my own sentences I'd be like <laughs> mid-sentence and just be like I don't have the energy, it doesn't matter anyway, who cares? And then I just stare, and I would say weird things. Noah, Noah came home. <laughs> on Sunday, I was beaming. It was like, Sean's on this side, there's Isaac, Noah, Bentley sitting with her friends at church, and I'm just like, I feel um, But he was laughing at me because, um, you know, the, the, the hard day for me of detoxing sugar uh, I come home, and um, I had gone to the gym, and I just kind of walked on the treadmill. I couldn't even do anything. I sat down on the floor when they were doing weights <laughs> and just stared at people. I was like, you need to stand up. This is not normal. And so I come home, and I'm like, I need, I need some food now. So I take a big spoonful of, um, you know, kind of like this almond butter, and I eat it. And it just went straight into my system. I started laughing so hard, and then I'm crying, and my son is like, my mom's having a mental breakdown right now. And I'm like, no, this is good. This is good. I'm on the ground laughing from peanut butter. Um, So (laughs) I'm like, Lord, you have to give me a brain by Monday and then Tuesday so I can speak. But no, God is showing up already in crazy ways. Are you guys journaling what he's speaking and that, that's, that's what I, it's so cool to be able to go back and look. You forget the amazing things that he's done um, and what he wants to do in this fast. And so if you take that little, um, we, we passed him out last time if you didn't have it, but every day there's a little space. And I just journal out what the Lord did that day, like just little bullet points. Um, and, you know, he is, he is once again, he's always better than you think. And he is so good and he is redeeming, and he is restoring, and everything is accelerating right now. Do you guys agree? Yeah. So, um, you know, tomorrow night, I want to plug, we have our our worship night. Um, I highly recommend that you have fear of missing out, FOMO, 1,000%. You want to be in the house of the Lord as much as you can be right now, get fired up, and then go get sent out for what God has for your life, your calling, and to see him break out. I'm telling you, you know, the Lord, um, in the word, it says that, you know, as I was in the world, so you are. And that was Jesus speaking about us because his spirit lives inside of you. Um, And so he says, you will do greater works than these. And we were talking about it in our prayer time this morning and stirring up the gifts that are inside of you that you will do greater works than the Lord Jesus Christ said that he did when he was walking on the face of the planet. And I I have to tell you, on 
Sunday, I found out about just one word. Do you know that just one right word? We talked last week about waiting on the Lord. Remember, David learned how, and he knew how to wait on the Lord. Um, And remember, that's not like a waiting, like, I'm just waiting for you to rapture me and get me out of here. It is a active waiting, listening, pursuing, dwelling, meditating, thinking, ingesting his word. It's, it's a, like a lady in waiting, you know, to like a queen, and she's anticipating every move and every, and thinking and focusing. That's the idea of waiting on the Lord, our King. So, um, okay, uh, whoa, where was I going to go? Because now I'm, I'm going to teach about five messages this morning. I better <laughs> stick to my notes, but... Um, so, 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 waiting on the Lord. And so for even just an apt word... Remember, the, the timing to do things. Uh, Saul is the picture of impatience, right? He just went ahead and he did different roles, the, the role of the priest, which he wasn't supposed to do. The kingdom was torn from him. He wasn't obedient with what God had asked him to do, all those kinds of things. So for us, though, I, I want to give an example. This is so amazing. It was one word that I um, gave to someone, and it, just a very, very simple phrase. And, and the phrase was, and, but it was led by the Spirit, be kind to yourself. And it was what this person was going through and things that, that you know, voices that were trying to talk to them. And maybe that's a word for someone in this room right now, that you are supposed to be, and the Lord is telling you, to be kind to yourself right now. Some of you are beating yourself up, and it is not the Lord's will for you to do that. That is what the enemy wants to do, who is the robber, stealer, destroyer. He comes to kill. Um, so so this, this person, that, that apt word, and I say like where it has oil all over that word, meaning you know anointing on it from the Lord, was then passed to someone else at an appropriate moment that the Lord said, now give that word that was given to you. Be kind to yourself. That person got deliverance with just that word spoken. Literally felt things leave, felt chains break off, was in tears, kept telling me about how it literally changed her life by just that one phrase that one simple word. And so this is the kind of stuff that I have been waiting for all my life. Miracles are starting to happen where one word is spoken, and I wasn't even there. But it had the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit and then was spoken through another vessel at the right time. And she just couldn't understand how that word had totally set her free in ways that she didn't know that she could be set free. And it literally, she, she just with tears in her eyes, she kept telling me and just kept telling me, no, you don't understand. This changed my life. I'm a different person. And you could see it on that person. They were different. They were changed. Deliverance from one little phrase. Um, and, and then, you know, at, um, the, the, an, another thing, I mean, this was on Sunday, uh, going through um, with someone who is um, very um, old, I'll just say they're old. They are old, because I don't see what's wrong with getting old. Old means you're actually blessed, and you're not under a curse. To be able to go into old age is actually an honor, and it's actually a blessing in the Bible. So all of you guys who are afraid of becoming old, stop it right now in Jesus' name, because it's actually a sign that God's blessing is on your life, and you don't have cursings on your life. So um, he's old, okay, and um, blessed, and... um, and, but it was amazing because in the course of literally a couple minutes, the Holy Spirit exposed a lie that had been set in place 
when this person was 23 years old. So we're talking decades and decades and decades. And this lie was so strong and so real, it started manifesting physically in this person. It it, it connected and made a physical manifestation of like a sickness that was happening in this person. And the Lord exposed what that lie was that was done at 23 years old. And we went right there to the foot of the cross. We broke it. We covered it in the blood of Jesus. And that thing had to leave. And the, the physical manifestation was broken off of that person right there in that moment. I did, it, did I tell you guys? I don't know if I only told Tuesday night. My microphone keeps hitting my collar, and it's weird. Um, <laughs> just, you know, we're only on day four of the fast. Just hang with me. It's going to be the Holy Spirit speaking this morning. Um, so did I tell you guys about praying for the, the, the a little baby? I think it was last week. Did I tell you guys about that? It was, it was after I taught. Um, so I had a mother um, come, a friend of mine, and ask if I would pray and kind of dedicate her baby. And I'm telling you, I just, it was after Bible study, laying hands, and little tiny, tiny little baby, so, so sweet, the cute little chubby cheeks, and just praying the bless, blessings of the Lord. And the Lord starts prophesying over this little baby. And all of a sudden, I feel led to put my hand just right here on his head, and his little eyes, as soon as he was looking around like this, wide awake, as soon as I laid hands on him, his little eyes closed. Only when my hand was right there, and I wasn't like this, I was like this. And he just, like, on cue. And then all of a sudden, you could feel the power of God going. And the little baby was on fire with the power of God. I was on fire, sweating with the power of God. And then the mom opens her eyes and at the end has tears and says, I felt God. I felt God. I go, you felt that? She's like, I felt that. I'm like, this is going to be a man of faith right here and the things that were prophesied over this little boy. So I want you guys to start to get excited. Like, the, like, and those are just a few stories from, I can't even tell you, I have so many more. So, so the, okay, we're going to go to Samuel, but God is moving. Lord, we're so grateful. We are, we are, make us undone. Um, that, that we can even talk to you, that, that we know you because, because Lord, the Father um, chose to, to make you known to us, Jesus. Um, we're drawn by you, by your love. Um, there's nothing that can separate us from your love. And you are moving, Lord God. And, and the church is asleep to the times that we're living in, Lord. And, and the church is in apathy and, and comfortable and looks like the world and smells like the world and talks like the world and is not set apart and doesn't understand holiness and um, is ineffectual in, in, in changing the world the way that you, um, how it started. You're bringing us back to the book of Acts, Lord God. Um, you're, you're, you're drawing our hearts. You're saying you've got to choose. Are you going to be a living sacrifice for me? And if you choose to be a living sacrifice for me, you will find life and you will find it more abundantly. You will not go wanting. You will literally see the power of God manifest through you as an empty vessel as you are poured out as a drink offering. 
It is no longer time to play church and play Bible study and women's Bible study club and group and whatever. Lord, we're desperate for you. We're here because we want to actually eat your word. We take you literally that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we are so uh, grateful and amazed that we have your living word And we get to sit here and discuss it and meditate on it and chew on it and literally be changed if we let it become a part of who we are. And and no more religion, dead religion, and man's traditions and doctrines of demons, we start calling them out, Lord God. Because just like Dad talked about this last weekend, in Matthew, we're looking at their sheep nations and goat nations, and you're going to come And you are going to literally look at the heart and you're going to cut through all the facade and we're going to be known really for, did we really trust you? Do we really love you, Jesus? Are we marked by the blood of the lamb? Do we live on the other side of the cross and we're resurrected because we died with you and we were raised with you and now we live and move and have our being in you? So let that be uh, stirred in us, Lord God. You, you just take over um, our lives, <laughs> not just this meeting, but every moment of every second, every single day, in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so First Samuel, we have to go there. We're kind of ending, um, uh, I kind of, we were in chapter 30, and then we go all the way through 2 Samuel 14 in our reading. So we don't finish 2 Samuel, but we're getting into it. Um, and we're, we're, so we're ending 1 Samuel, stepping into that 2 Samuel this morning. And to recap a bit, um, we have had the overlay, if you guys remember from the first part of Samuel, the overlay of Hannah's prayer at the beginning. And she kind of sets that. I love to have something like that, like a North Star, to kind of have as a lens over uh, the rest of the stories. Because, you know, we're following David in caves. We've got, you know, the, all, so much is going on. Um, but here's a little bit of a lens. Hannah's prayer um, over our characters, over their stories, how God humbles and brings low the proud, but he lifts up the humble. He exalts the humble. Um, so that, that's kind of, you know, just to keep that in your mind. Because David, who is humble, he's been lifted up by God, right? Um, and then Saul, the king, in his pride, has been brought low by God. The kingdom was torn from him, taken from Saul, and God has anointed his king that he was planning on, which is none other than David. And remember, Saul is driven mad with jealousy. I mean, literally crazy. Do you know that these things where you you think it's a little innocuous sin, well, I can be jealous of her. Look at how perfect her life looks. Her hair is always perfect. Her husband is super cute. Her kids are like, you know, on the honor roll. Her dog is even cute and is potty trained and whatever. And her life and I can be jealous of her. But these are not innocuous sins. There's demons that are attached to these things. And they, again, want to kill, steal, rob, devour. They hate you. They have a plan for your life too. (laughs) And it is not what God's plan is for your life. So you look at what something that you think, you know, is just this little innocuous, silly thing and is acceptable in our society, such as jealousy and envy, and it literally drives him mad. It makes him crazy. He is deranged. Um, Saul, right here. 
So David is then driven into the wilderness. He's fleeing from Saul, even though David had done nothing wrong. Remember, he goes and he's the champion that beats Goliath um, as a little shepherd boy and saves all of Israel. He goes and faithfully serves, does whatever Saul wants him to do. But here we have David running and fleeing from his life. But this is um, one of the main points here, too. And David's character, it shines through here. Despite the persecution, David trusts God. While he's literally fleeing for his life, despite Saul's evil, David believes God and what God has said, that he will raise up a king for his people. And that is such a good word for our hearts to hear and to see in the life of David. You know, how many times do people come to me and you don't understand my life? And no, I don't, but God does. And here's a picture of David who's literally being pursued with spears and javelins, like being thrust at his head when he's playing a harp for him. And, and he has to flee into, I mean, it's, it's so there, there is nothing that is beyond God's goodness. The world is falling apart at the seams. I mean, there is stuff popping up, and people are freaking out. And if they don't have the Word of God and the Spirit of God leading them, they should be freaking out. It's terrifying out there, but not in under the shadow of the Almighty. I'm not scared. Like the Lord God, He protects, He guides, He provides. And David shows us a literal picture of that. I mean, all hell is literally coming after David. It's breaking loose. He's running and fleeing for his life. But David trusts in the Lord despite the evil that he is experiencing and despite the evil and injustice that he sees in the world. He trusts the word of God over his life. Excuse me. This is also, this is kind of cool, the time that David pens many of the Psalms, which we'll get to. He pens many of the Psalms um, when he is in this time of fleeing and running in the wilderness. Um, All of this shows how David's heart trusts in the Lord. And you guys, trust is a choice. It's a moment-by-moment choice. Um, to trust in the Lord. And what I have a lot of times when women want to, you know, get counseling and all this stuff, and I want you guys to have the Holy Spirit be counseling you. That's why I kind of sneak out at the end, because I know I want to pray for you, and I want to hear all your stories and all that, but I also want you to be ministering one to another and use the gifts that God has given to you, because the same Holy Spirit lives inside of you that lives inside of Pastor Ray, okay? You know, Um, so to start working these things out, stepping out in what God has for you, praying for each other, receiving ministry from each other. Um, So anyway, uh, so David, yeah, the whole thing about him trusting the Lord, um, I I feel like we say, well, we trust the Lord. We're here. We're reading the Bible. Um, I, I believe in Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. But then something will rise up in your life, and it's pressing, you know, maybe an illness or a bill or a job or a kid who's not walking with the Lord or a husband, you know, who's acting in some sort of way, you know, or you don't have a husband and you want that husband, whatever. And it's like those are the things that we say, we trust the Lord, but then with this, I don't trust the Lord. He's not good here. Like, I, I don't believe him for this. 
I don't see it, it didn't happen in my time, and you don't realize that you're bitter and you're mad and you start doing and controlling and manipulating it yourself in this one area. And the Lord is showing us, no, you need to trust me, my timing, my ways. David, even with his reputation, David, even where he was anointed to be king by the very prophet of God, Samuel, and yet Saul is still on the throne, and it's like, Lord, did you get that right? Samuel, did you hear right? I mean, do you see what I'm saying? Am I making sense? Yes? Okay, good. I'm going to ask that a lot today. Um, And here it is. So it all ends, though, for Saul, um, losing a terrible battle with the Philistines. The battle is fierce, and Saul's death um, we we read about in our story um, uh, at this time. David uh, becomes, though, listen, a character study for us alongside Saul, that we need to learn from their lives. This is how you're supposed to read the Bible. You're supposed to see yourself in every situation. You're supposed to put your feet into the feet of the characters, the lives, the stories that you're reading about. So we've got this character study of David alongside Saul, and we need to learn from their lives, their examples that we're reading about. So put yourself into the story when you're reading asking the Holy Spirit to show, show where I am in, in Saul's life. Show me where there's glimpses of even David, David, in you. And, and start seeing God, like, he, he speaks to us that way through the word. And like Saul, we need to see where character flaws, where, where, where's character flaws in me? See if there be any wicked way in me. Um, my brother actually ended with that. If you guys were here last Wednesday night, that was one of the verses that he said. And isn't it interesting? My dad actually this weekend talked about David, all about David too. Were you guys there on Sunday? Okay, just checking. Some of you are like just staring at me. That was on, on Wednesday night. We had like our whole prayer night. And that was one of the things that my brother ended with, with, you know, Lord, David's cry, see if there be, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Because Saul, this was blind spots. He didn't see these things. Um, And then when it was exposed, we know what he did with them. We want to be like, when we see sin, we call it our hallelujah moment in this room. It's, It's because if you don't see it, it's like that lie that was placed in my testimony that I told you about before, about the, the person who is like advanced in years now, but at 23 believed a lie that kept this person bound and now is physically manifesting in their life all these decades later. So, so to, to expose those things, and that's why it's your hallelujah moment, because once you see it, then you can bring it into the light, you can deal with it, you can cut whatever cords and ties the enemy has there in your life and actually be healed, be set free, be made new in that place. Um, So it's like, hallelujah, but it's when you don't know that it's there that it can fester and grow. So, or you hide it, you don't want to to ask that prayer, um, you know, before the Lord show me. We need to be realistic. We need to be honest. We need to find out what those places are and then bring it to the, it's simple. This is the cool part. Once you find it, it's like, oh God, no, what do I do? And then sometimes the enemy will trip people up right at that place. And it's like, you run to the cross as fast as you can. In your heart, you run to the foot of the cross and whatever that thing is, you just confess it and you give it to him. And then you say, forgive me and take it from me. 
And he does, because his mercies are new morning by morning by morning. But we don't take him up on that. You're covered in the blood of Jesus. And then the Lord says, I remember your sins no more, right? It's as far as the east is from the west. He literally goes, as though they were scarlet, I make your sins as white as snow. So your sins are not more powerful than the blood of Jesus. Um, so we, we have to be honest about our sins. And this is also going to come across in our story today, that our sin doesn't just affect us, but it affects those around us. Your sin, there's no isolation in this is me and my life and mine. Whatever you do and whatever, I mean, I wish I could go into it way more. This will tell, it'll give a good example. But it even changes your genetic coding for your, like the generations that come from you. We could go into the whole science of it. It's fascinating. The Lord God is like, take me at my word. I mean everything that I say literally. Like, trust me when I tell you to deal with these things. Because it literally, it doesn't even just, it affects the people around you living. But then it, it goes through your family line um, powerfully. And the enemy knows this. We're the ones that are like, you know, hiding our sin. I'm so ashamed. Keep it in the dark. Okay, I'll listen to you. And, and then it comes through in your generation. You see it perpetuate through the generations. Um, so actually, we'll see that in our story too. Um, so David, up till this point, we see him being an example of trusting God, even when it seems like he's been forgotten. I mean, he's literally living in caves, you guys. He's having to flee. When it seems like God has abandoned him, he puts his trust in the Lord over and over. Despite what you see or feel, trust and know like David, God is working out his plan, and he will exalt the humble, and and he will bring down the prideful in your life. I mean, that's the whole picture and story with the Penina at the beginning. Penina? Penina and Hannah, remember? So we've studied the rise of King Saul, then his decline and demise. We have seen this in contrast to David's rise as David becomes king, and there are times of great success and great blessing in David's life. But we also, the Bible does not leave anything out. It is very honest. It records all the dirty details of what is going on and makes these people, the story of Saul and David is some of the most detailed uh, character studies that we have of of anyone in the Bible. Um, So he goes into and still yet calls him a man after God's own heart when we see and read about um, David's unbelievable horrific sin and moral failing, um, you know, and the consequences uh, of it. But after Saul's death, it is a surprise to everyone. Do you guys remember what David did after Saul died? Wouldn't you think that this man who has been pursuing you all these years and has brought so much harm and, and, and decimated your character. And, and you know, um, I mean, it's affected his family, uh, his friendships, um, on and on and on. Plus, he loved Saul, and, and this was his leader. And, and, you know, to be pursued by him, to, to literally, like a, he says, you're pursuing me like a dog. Um, David, what does he do? You would think when he hears of Saul's death that he would be excited that he would feel liberated, 
that he would feel finally justice has been met by the hand of God? No. What David does is he writes this long poem for Saul. And great, it's, it's this detailed long poem about the very man who pursued him, who was trying to kill him. And David actually grieves for Saul. He grieves for him. And this shows David's heart that he is a man of compassion. He is a man of humility. And it's powerful and it's beautiful. And it's something that you and I want to have. In reading this story, one of the things that the Lord had um, me do uh, yesterday morning, sometimes I'll just wake up and he leads you into something, you know, by his spirit to pray. And it was um, actually, it was praying for any enemies that I have, like people that are, you know, saying wrongful things about me that aren't true, um, that there are people out there that are trying to just my moral character, uh, you know, that have turned on me, um, that have abandoned friendship, uh, and the Lord just had me praying for them. Like, this is what, do you know, that's what the Lord wants us to do. That's his heart, and it sets you free. And we see it here in David. Um, then, then the next thing that we see, so I just want you guys to know, that might be something you need to start bringing into your prayer time, especially in this time of prayer and fasting. The Lord says, bless your enemies. You're supposed to bless those who curse you. And the reason is because there's a power in it when you do it. it. It changes you and it sets you free. And it actually, when you do that, it affects that other person too, to actually have a chance for their hearts to be changed. It's very, very, and it's God-like. Does God not do that with us every single moment of every single day? He prays for us. He blesses us. Even when we were at enmity against God, he died for us. So if you want to be like Jesus, then you will do this. And that's why David, one of the things, again, he is a man after God's own heart because you see God's heart lived out through him. So the next thing that we see is the tribes, they come uh, after Saul's death. They ask David to be their king, and he unifies all the tribes of Israel. Then David goes to the city of Jerusalem, and he conquers it, and he makes Jerusalem as Israel's, listen, eternal capital. He didn't know that, but we'll get there in the story. It's going to be God's eternal capital for Israel, um, uh, Jerusalem. And he calls it Zion. He continues to lead Israel. He wins much more uh, territory as he fights and he conquers. He's leading them into battle after battle. And the hand of favor is on David's life and he's winning battle after battle. David then desires, so he's made Jerusalem the capital of Israel, but now he goes, I want to make Jerusalem, Zion, the capital, the spiritual capital of Israel. Um, and he wants to bring the ark there. Um, David, though, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we're going to come back to this and end with this because it's so important, but um, he tells the desire of his heart to the Lord at this point in time, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Um, and he, he, he says that I, um, I want to build you a permanent house. You know, and the Lord talks about how he says, I've been in a tabernacle, a tent, and I go from place to place to place with the children of Israel. Remember coming out of Egypt and they're bringing the ark, goes around with them from place to place. 
And um, so David is saying, I have a house. And Lord God, you're in a tent. And um, he goes, I, I know that you can't possibly live in a house. Like nothing can contain you. But I want to build a house for you. And this is so beautiful. And this is so how your Father in heaven works with you and I. He, he turns that on David. And he tells David, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a house, David. Um, and he does. He builds David a dynasty, and we will we'll end with that because it's a bigger, it's a game changer. So, um, but then in the middle of all this beautiful blessing and God speaking and, and you know, uh, they're conquering and, and they're, they're gaining more territory and everything that the people are with David and, and everything is flourishing. In the middle of all this, David decides to, quote, not go out to war when it was the time for the kings to go out to battle. And I want you to realize that your most vulnerable at the two extremes, the lowest, lowest point of your life is, you know, they're very vulnerable, but also when you're at the top. When you're at the top, when everything is comfortable, when you have been fighting for things and, and, and all of a sudden there's all this breakthrough and you're on the other side of it and you're walking on top of your palace walls there and you decide not to go and fight when you should be going out to fight and there's a time of peace and prosperity this is your most vulnerable time. And David shows that to us right here. He stays home, and from his rooftop, he sees this woman Bathsheba, and she is taking a bath. She was Uriah's wife, which David knew Uriah. Uriah is actually one of David's mighty men, just so you know. So he, this is a familiar uh, person. It's, yeah. So, but David doesn't care. David sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. Then David freaks out, and he tries to cover it up by having Bathsheba's husband literally murdered in battle. And then David takes Bathsheba and marries her and makes um, her his wife. But Nathan, is anything done in secret that God doesn't see? No. <laughs> the very secrets that, that there's another scripture. It says, the secrets that you whisper in your tents, the Lord hears. He knows every intent of, of your heart, even. Um, Nathan, the prophet, confronts David about what he has done. He confronts him about his sin. And David is, in that moment, when he hears it, he's not like Saul making excuses and, you know, saying what a great thing he's done and all that. He is broken. And that is the major difference between Saul and between David, right? Right? He, when he's confronted with his sin, he knows, too, that he has sinned against God and God alone. He knows there's all these people and other ramifications, and we'll see it. But you need to understand, when you sin, you're, you, you are sinning against God and him alone, first and foremost. So David is broken. He admits everything. He confesses. He repents. And, and the prophet says, God forgives you, David. You are forgiven, but there are still consequences for the choice of sin in your life, David. And it literally says, um, he tells them basically that those things, those consequences will not be erased. Because of this choice to sin and its consequences, David's kingdom and his family fall apart. And one of the, I mean, it was just awful. One of the things that the prophet says is that the sword will never depart from your home, David, because of this. 
Um, so David himself is forgiven, but there are consequences to your sins that affect, again, I tell you, the generations. Um, and you see it played out in David's story. David's son repeats the sin of their father, but to another level, a depraved level. Remember one of his sons, Amnon, um, David's son rapes his half-sister, Tamar. Then Absalom, the brother, the full brother of Tamar, um, goes and kills the half-brother, Amnon. Then Absalom devises a whole entire plan to dethrone his father and to take the kingdom from him. I mean, this whole maniacal plan where he goes to the gates and he starts winning the hearts of the people and he starts dishonoring his father. And I mean, the whole thing plays out. You see in this, so David is forgiven of his sin, but there are these consequences that come. And it says that there's, there's incest in his family line. Now there's rebellion. It turns into full-on civil war and, and all rolling out um, um, from this, this choice. And David, again, has to run, and he has to flee, and he has to hide. Only this time he wasn't innocent, right? Second Samuel 7, though, and we're going to end kind of wrapping up here. I want you guys to understand it's one of the most important chapters of your Bible. So that's why I was like, did you know that? Second Samuel chapter 7. Um, so pay attention to this, because we're talking about the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant. 2 Samuel 7 affects everything that follows in all of Scripture, and not only that, but in the history of mankind, Um, because it's not just affecting Israel, but the entire planet. This affects you and me today, right here, right now, the Davidic covenant, Um, because this is ultimately, we'll see, it plays out where the entire planet Earth will be ruled from. Um, So let me show you here. Because God declares here the eternal Davidic dynasty, meaning that the, the lineage and the dynasty and the ruling and reigning of David's line is eternal. Remember how he said, you want to build me a house, David, and I love your heart, and I love that desire that you have for me, but I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to build you a house. This is the house that he's talking about, because we know who comes from the Davidic lineage. Jesus. Jesus. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's spoken and promised here, basically. I mean, we know there's many more scriptures, but I'm saying that this is like another level of, remember, the Lord continually, if you started with us in Genesis, he gives us revelation and he gives us light in his word. And then as soon as you go into that revelation, then he opens up more, more revelation and more light, another layer for you and I to go into an understanding of who he is, who we are, what his plan is for his kids, for the earth. So we're seeing the next layer of that being disclosed that goes all the way into the millennial reign. So it's huge. So, so okay. Now know this. The Davidic covenant, it's unconditional, meaning there's no condition. Like, David, you have to be like this. David, you have to do this. It's unconditional. God says, I say it, and because I have spoken this, there are no conditions on it. It will come to pass. 
the Abrahamic covenant was also unconditional. Um, So important point, uh, because it has messianic implications. It's not just about governing Israel, but it is the entire concept of the Messiah coming. And I want you guys to start to understand and know these things, starting with that promise way back in Genesis chapter 3, right after Adam and Eve's sin, in that first moment, the Lord had already devised a plan, and we bring this up over and over again, because I want you guys to be able to articulate the gospel, the good news, in its entirety with simplicity and authority, because the world is waiting for you to tell them the good news, the gospel. From day one, the Lord already had a plan. He knew that they were going to fall. He knew that they were going to choose this. Love has a choice, and they chose to listen to the enemy, and they gave everything away. But all the way in Genesis 3, the Lord gave a provision to reconcile his kids back to him. And it goes, listen, all the way to the marriage supper of the Lamb, which we have not experienced yet. That is in Revelation chapter 19. Let me read to you 2 Samuel 7, 11 through, well, we'll get through 16. So just listen to the words here. This is the promise that the Lord, the covenant that he's making with David. And it's an eternal, unconditional covenant. In the manner that I appointed judges over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. And Yahweh declares to you that Yahweh will build a house for you. He's speaking to David. When your days are full and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you. And I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name. Who is the son that's going to build him a house? Solomon, we're going to get to him. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Has anyone seen Sandlot? It's a movie about baseball, but he goes, forever. It goes over to, because listen, 2 Samuel 7, 14 through 16. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son for me, whom I will punish when he goes wrong way with the rod of men and with blows of human beings. But my loyal love shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul when I removed, um, removed him before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever. Before you, your throne shall be established forever. His throne, his kingdom, and his house, those three different things, they're all, they're, they're different, but they're related. And each one is established forever, forever. Psalm 89, um, verse 29, and then also 35 to 37, it says, speaking about this, his seed also will I make to endure forever. And his throne is the days of heaven Once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever. And his throne is the sun before me. So the sun and the moon are actually signs of covenants that God keeps with his people. They're they're two um, witnesses of God's covenants that he keeps. And one of them is to the divinic line and the messianic line, you know, Jesus fulfilling that. So whenever you see the sun and the moon, they're actually covenantal signs to you and I that God keeps his word. So we want to keep seeing the sun and the moon. It's good. Because you will see them forever. But Forever, as, okay, so it shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven. Then Acts 2.30 actually says, therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath 
to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of that commitment and that covenant that God made to David. So here, um, he has given this divine confirmation to David. The Lord has been giving us this plan and revealing it through the, the, the generations, through time, through people who are listening and obeying him. And this is the hugest one right here, a confirmation of his throne in physical Israel. And this is why people, the church thought that they replaced Israel. Um, but the church did not replace Israel. We are grafted in to Israel and the covenantal promises that God made to Israel. Um, so this is why people go, why are you guys so into Israel? Well, because God is so into Israel. That's why. Do you understand? He made the promise to them how God would forever establish the, his dynasty of David through his line and that the Messiah would come and eventually sit on that throne. So the, again, the David, the Davidic covenant God makes is unconditional. Praise the Lord. It's not dependent on us. And all of this matters to you and I because of its messianic implications. Listen, Matthew 1, 1 speaks of the Messiah and literally calls him the son of David. It's talking about Messiah. Jesus, Yeshua, the son of David. Um, and then he also calls him uh, the son of Abraham. So see, the Lord, when we think it's chaos, where are you? Remember the book of Judges is happening, but at the same time, the book of Ruth is happening. See, this is why it's so cool to learn the word of God and see how it goes in place, because he's doing that in your life right now as well. He, he's working out his plans. He's working out his ways. He is going to exalt you if you are humbly following him. Um, Jesus, he, so he specifically fulfills both of those things, being a son of David, being a son of Abraham. And then also Revelation 5.5, 5, the Messiah Yeshua, Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David. Um, so one is the tribe and one is the family. You've got David and the tribe of Judah. Um, and there are many, many, many more things that, um, verses and prophecies, and we're going to get into the prophets and all that stuff. And we'll see these things. We'll see the story start unfolding. And we're living in the times right now that Daniel talked about, uh, you know, the prophet, literally, while he was in Babylon, he got the whole story of, you know, the, the, the kingdoms all the way until Jesus Christ comes to rule and reign. Because he's coming to physically rule and reign. You know, he, one of his names is called the Prince of Peace. Um, so, oh, do I want to do all that? Let's see. Okay, I'll do this. Are you guys good? Okay, one more thing, and then, because I want to I wanna wrap up with where I was just about to go. So just to remind you, again, because we will not be Bible ignorant in this room, um, because we need something in there that is of God and his eternal word so that when the Holy Spirit needs to bring something up, there's something there, <laughs> right? You know, don't just be making stuff up, please. <sighs> Genesis 3.15, trust me, a lot of the church is. 3.15, all the way back, God reveals he's going to redeem through the seed of a woman. So, you know, Satan's listening too, the enemy, and he's like, 
It's going to be through mankind that he's going to try to get his kids back and reconcile all this and take this kingdom from me and take the world back. Okay, it's going to be through, through the seed of the woman, mankind. So the plan gets revealed just a little bit all the way back in Genesis. So through human race. More specific, Genesis 22, 18. Oh, it's going to be through Abraham that God says and makes that covenant with him. I'm going to make you a nation and that the Messiah would come from that now nation of people that he chooses for himself to reveal himself, to reveal his ways, to give his oracles, his laws, and the prophets, and then eventually the Messiah through Abraham and through his seed. Then more specifically, the Lord gives another revelation of his light and of his plan for you. This affects you, okay? Because sometimes you go, why do I care? You care. You do. I'm going to make you care. No, just kidding. so, okay, the, so we went from mankind, then to a nation, then more specific, a tribe, the tribe of Jacob, Genesis 49.10, remember? Yeah. Okay, keep going. And then focused even more specifically, God has revealed the next part of the plan of rescue, redemption for his kids, and he goes, it's going to be through David. And I'm going to give you guys a, a spoiler alert, his line, his lineage will always be seated on the throne and his kingdom is without end. And Jesus Christ is the one who would come through that family line seen in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 11 through 16. So God focuses his plan through revelation and how he has this messianic plan from the very beginning for his first coming. And now we eagerly await for his fast approaching second coming. And you guys, things are happening so fast. Okay, uh, one of the things you want a little, um, I've told you bits and pieces, but you know how there's like a Sanhedrin now, which hasn't been around since Jesus's time? You're like, what? Yeah, there's a Sanhedrin. And um, so they actually are petitioning that they would be able to um, perform a, a one lamb sacrifice on Pesach, which is Passover, which is what we're all fasting for, getting up to Easter, that they, they're asking if they can get a permit to sacrifice one lamb on the Temple Mount. They have already made the um, altar of, uh, that the Lord prescribes, you know, that we've read about in our readings, um, because it has to be very specific, it's very detailed, and it's mobile so that they, they get the permission to do this thing, to sacrifice a lamb on the Temple Mount, then, like, they have to be able to do it, like, really quick, bring it up, set it up, and then they'd have to tear it back down and leave. But that's happened. We already know that they did a sacrifice on the Mount of Olives um, just this last year and the year before that, and it's a Noahic covenant that they're reenacting. They have 70 different um, nations uh, or people from different nations coming, and 70 and different nations represents the world coming and participating in that sacrifice that we have. Like, we're watching end time stuff. It's like, I go, Dad, are they reading the book? Are they just like following everything that it says? And the end, I, 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 we can't even go into the wars and rumors of wars and the pandemics that's possibly coming now, you know, corona and all that kind of stuff. So we are, it's happening, you guys. We're nearer than we've ever been. 
This is the most exciting time to be alive on the planet Earth. And the way that I'm showing you that he has revealed what he's doing, he goes, I don't want my kids to be ignorant of that day. No one knows the very day, the specific day or the hour, but it says you will know the seasons and you will know the times. So y'all need to know the season and the time. He's coming back. And he's coming back to this very, very place that David is ruling and reigning from. Are you guys excited? Okay. Yeah. So the, you know, we're praying and fasting right now. I hope you guys are doing it with us. And, um, and I'm telling you, the Lord will meet you with just the simplest act of obedience and whatever he's asking you to do and, um, and, and, and pressing into him and listening and hearing him, meditating. And I was going to sleep. I had just um, redone Noah's room, and Sean was like, why are we buying all these things? for?" You know, you start nesting for your kid that comes home and make him a room downstairs because he used to share with Isaac. So he's like, why are we buying plants for Noah's room? I'm like, he needs plants. (laughs) I'm really tired at the end of the day. I come, and I just lay into bed. And again, the Holy Spirit just starts prompting and moving me into prayer that I didn't know we were going to do. And I'm telling you the thing and that I want you guys to kind of go into, I've given you um, the Lord's Prayer, which is really our prayer, the disciples' prayer, but they call it the Lord's Prayer. But it has parts of this in there that, that right now we need to be praying. The Lord started just moving me into this, this cry that I didn't know was in there saying, Maranatha. Do you know that Maranatha means Lord come? Maranatha, Maranatha. And I, start, I started weeping. And Sean was asleep because he had to preach really early in the morning. And I was like, oh, because I didn't know what was going to happen. And I was crying out to God. It was like from here, just crying, Lord, God, come. We need the Prince of Peace to be seated on the throne. We do not know how to rule ourselves. We do not know what we are doing. We need you, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And it just started flowing out of me and weeping and sobbing. And I know it's the cry of God's heart that his kids would be aligned with what he's doing right now. He wants to bring us into that heartbeat of where we're at in the time and the season right now. And so um, I started thinking about um, the Lord's Prayer, and it says, um, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, meaning holy be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth earth as it is in heaven. Now, obviously, we're the, the, the temple of the Lord. We're the tabernacle of the Lord. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. But he is also going to build a physical temple that he will literally sit and rule and reign from. And we know the location and we know where. And it's getting close to that time right now. We're closer than we've ever been before. Things prophetically have, have happened that have never happened before that were like, he could come at any moment. But he will, his intention is to physically come and rule and reign from that place, that same place that David ruled and reigned from. It's amazing. So um, I want you guys to go through that prayer and actually pray it at your table. Let's align with God's heart right now together and ask him to come, that his will would be done here on earth in your life, in your heart, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your city, San Diego, in the state of California, in the world. We need the Prince of Peace to come and govern and rule and reign. First, yes, here, but also we're looking for him to come and to sit on the throne, David's throne, just like he promised in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Amen? Amen. Is that so good, you guys? Okay, I'm, 
So excited. Okay, circle up. Cry out to God. Pray. You've got a model there if you need it. You can just say that out loud if you want. And I will see you next week.